have a marriage that you like. The, the enemy of marriage or the destructive force of marriage is divorce. And I believe that almost pro- probably nowadays, most of us in this room have been you know, affected by a divorce, whether you were divorced or your parents were divorced or maybe your grandparents or an uncle or an aunt. I mean, I think most of us in this room, we have some sort of family history of divorce. And even though it's something that we see all the time, it does not make it the norm. It does not make it okay, right? It's against the plan of God. Divorce is destructive. And it's, uh, it's just like the end result of having a, a relationship that's just not united at all. But it's not God's plan. It's not God's plan. And, and today, if you find yourself kind of on the edge of that, maybe your marriage is in a rough place, I wanna let you know, first off, it's not God's plan for you to split up, right? But wherever you're at, there is hope. Like even though right now you can't stand to barely touch your spouse, maybe like your, like your clothes were touching and you're like, right? <laughs> Come on, I understand. I understand what that's like. Maybe your, your husband like put his arm around you and you're just like, get it off of me. Come on, I understand. Hey, been there, okay? Not there today though, it's good, it's good. So today's a good day, right? <laughs> But I know what it's like to be in that place. And you almost start asking yourself, is there a way out of this? Like, is there hope? It's been like this for so long. And, and I just wanna straight off the bat tell you that there is hope. There is a pathway out of the pit that you're in right now. Okay, so we're gonna talk about that. But, but, but divorce is something that is really against marriage, obviously, but it's also a mindset. It's a mindset and, and the, it's an out, all right? It's a bailout. And divorce back in the 80s was around 50%. Around 50% of people that got married got divorced. And believe it or not, today, it's actually gone down. It's down in the 30s. And and there's a side that we all want to clap right now. Uh, But the reason for it going down to the 30s is not really as as good. Uh, The reason is, is that a lot of people, first of all, are just not getting married. They're just choosing not to be married. They'd rather maybe live together before they get married or just never get married, period, right? And so, so they're operating in that lifestyle. Other people, they're waiting longer. The average age of people that get married nowadays is, in, is 30, where it used to be like back in the 50s was 23. And so you were building a life together, together, and now it's more, I'm gonna figure out my life and then I'll maybe add somebody to that component, right? Like another component to my life. Instead of two people getting together and building a life together, and so the mindsets have shifted. And really, even though it's a lower percentage, it's not really a better message, okay? Because I believe that marriage is a good thing. I believe that, that marriage is a God thing. And I believe that God has laid out the, the standards and the principles of how to be married, but how to have a marriage that actually thrives. You know, one of the percentages we don't have is how many, how many families are surviving, how many marriages are surviving, but not thriving. It's just existing, making it. Like you go through your anniversary and it's like, all right, we made it another year. <laughs> like a person, a person in prison, you know, scratching in the, the stone wall, like, uh, you know, wearing it on your chest like a scar, you know, like another year of marriage versus it being a joy. And uh, 
whenever we got together to, to make this message, me and we actually, in case you don't know, we have two other locations, one up in Wiggins and another one in Long Beach. And so we get together and we speak about the message and what we're going to you know, speak on. And this past week, really what we did is we made a message out of the scars on our backs, okay? The, the, things, that, the things that we've been through. Today's a very personal message. Collectively, it's about over 50 years of marriage experience. And uh, these are the things that God has done in, in our hearts. And I want to share them with you today. And I, and I hope that they provide some hope, maybe some stability in your life. And so everything's going to come out of Ephesians 5. Uh, and if you've been to any wedding ceremony, more than likely the person facilitating that, that, uh, that wedding has said some of these scriptures, okay? And so we're going to read them, but also try to break down how they apply to us. Because if you can't apply them, it lacks some meaning, okay? So Ephesians 5, verse 21, it says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And the church submits to Christ. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Verse 31, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. That's actually something that's spoken back in Genesis. It says, this is a great ministry, uh, mystery, uh, sometimes a mystery and a ministry, all in one. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Some very simple words to say, but very complex at times to live out. But this is the core of what it means to be married. This is the core of what God's intent for marriage is and, and was, even though at times it gets redefined. But I want, make, I want to make this statement. God designed marriage to be a reflection of his covenant with us, a covenant. Years ago, I talked to a, a man that was walking away from his wife and his two-year-old daughter. And he said, he said, you know, man, look, I was young and he said, I fell out of love. And, he, and he, over the phone, he said, Jordan, one day you'll know what that means. And he said, one day you'll be married and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And those words like echoed in my heart and my mind for a very, very long time. Jordan, one day you'll know. And even when I was married, it was echoing through like one day you'll know, one day you'll see, you'll fall out of love. And it was almost like a curse spoken, right? Like resounding, it was this negative thing. And uh, once I got married though, I realized this is a covenant. It's not a feeling, right? It's not this emotion. It's this, this con contract, but not in a negative sense, like a contract, but like a covenant. Like I can, I can rely upon this agreement that me and this person have together to such a place that it really affected uh, the way that we made decisions. Like one of the first decisions was buying a house. We didn't have credit collectively to get a house by ourselves. And I've shared this story, so some of you know it, but um, <laughs> it's pretty funny. We, uh, we, we, I co-signed with my dad on the house and we were 21 and made a good decision, right? Buy a house instead of go to the Virgin Islands for our honeymoon. Um, 
economy had other plans and ended up being a useless decision. But however, whatever, right? Um, so we made this decision. We bought a house. And whenever Nadine's coworkers found out that she was not on you know, the paperwork, like they flipped the lid. They were like, oh, girl. Like, no, no, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna leave you flat. And you ain't going to have nothing. You know, it was like that whole mindset spoken out of pain, but also spoken out of a different perspective, one that was not covenant. And we talked about it. I was like, yeah, 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 but, but they think differently. They live different lives. See, we're not getting divorced. And so we don't have to worry about all of those things. We're committed to one another, like do or die, like this is it. We're in it, right? There's no plan B. There's no prenup, okay? Nowadays, it's, that's the safe, smart thing to do. I think it's a plan for failure. I think it, it's, a, it's a way out. And it, it says, I'm not all in this thing. Just in case you get weird, I've got this over here. No, 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 no. No, we don't, we don't have time for that, right? Like we've got bigger fish to fry. We are committed. We're in covenant one with another. And it's because God designed it to be a reflection of his covenant with us. That's why in Ephesians, it says it correlates us, uh, the church and Jesus to a bride and a groom. And we're the bride. Jesus is the groom and he's committed to us. He's in covenant with us. And look, that should affect, first of all, your relationship with God. Whenever you realize that God is committed to you, do or die, he's got a covenant with you. And all you have to do is believe in him, put your faith in him and receive his salvation that's freely offered. And you're in right standing with him. You're, you're grafted into his family. Your identity has been changed. You're a child of God. Like how you used to operate, it doesn't operate like that anymore, right? It renovates your whole thinking and it should renovate your thinking of your marriage. We're in a covenant together. It's no longer yours and mine, but the Bible says that you're two united as one. You're one flesh. It's now us and ours. Right? As, as a family, is it you and your money and you're this and you're that and my, 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 and, and, or is it our? The, those words mean a lot. Even in this church, whenever we start hearing like them and they versus we and our, we gotta, we gotta have a conversation. Cause like we're one, like this is a unit. We are a community. We're a family. It's our, like, like, I don't know if you know this, but this is your church. This is our church. Like, this is us together. It's not individuals that we just kind of show up on a Sunday. Like, there's ownership in this. And your marriage is the same way. It's an ownership. It's a collective team, not a couple of individuals. Now, a team operates well if there's no selfishness involved. All right? But people that start operating as two individual people trying to be a team, but there's still two individual people, it doesn't work out well. Because whenever you put that ring on your finger, like it's done. You're one, okay? All right, as you begin to grow, you're one person. So therefore, the decisions you make, you're one. The choices you make, the, the, the directions you go, you're one. It's a team. It's, it's, it's building as a team. Unfortunately, a lot of people are uh, kind of like operating as two teams in one. And it's really, instead of a dream team, it's a nightmare. <laughs> Every day you get up and it's just, uh, right? dysfunction, annoyance, frustration. I want to give you a couple of examples of what it does look like, though, to, make, uh, to, to operate as a team. And decisions is one of the first thing. Is it your decision and my decision, or is it our decision? Are you making decisions as a team? 
Are you headed in the same direction as a team? If I said, what's your vision for your family? Is there a vision? Is it our vision? You know, whenever me and Nadine, we, we had one child and we wanted to have another, but we weren't really living in the place that we wanted to live. We wanted to get another house and uh, God was working some things in us, in us uh, with that. But we made a plan. We said, we're gonna wait to have another child until we're in the home that can really support the family that we wanna, wanna have. But you know what that was? It was direction. But we talked about it and made a decision together. It wasn't just like, I don't know what we're doing, Right? Because that provides some chaos. That provides some, some uh, instability, correct? And maybe you felt that. Maybe it's time for a conversation of what decisions are we making together? But here's the other thing about this team versus an individualistic field is you could tell by the way that you treat one another. Okay, the way that you treat each other. Do you treat each other like a team or is it more that individualistic feel? And the way that you treat somebody has a ton to do with your perspective of them, Okay your perspective of them. Now, <clears throat> I wanna give you an example. Whenever you start dating somebody, and many of you, maybe you're in the dating phase right now, right? It, it's so glorious. It's so wonderful. Just, you got butterflies in your stomach. When you see them walk in the room, it's like, oh. You get, you know what I'm saying? You blush a little bit. Oh my gosh. You know, oh, she's got my favorite shirt on. It's so, you know. Oh, I love when she does her hair like that. Right, you got, all these, you got the butterflies. And what it is, in those, those times, you see everybody for their assets, for their, for their good qualities, because they're so good. Like, like, you know, oh, whenever she gets nervous, she kind of she sniffs a little bit or kind of like, oh, she gets like, you know, antsy and, oh, that's just so cute. And, you know, oh, I love what he does whenever we get in an argument. He just kind of gets very quiet and reserved. And I love that about him because it just shows that he cares for me so much. He doesn't want to say anything to hurt me. Right, it's, it's all assets, it's all good, you know? <laughs> but, but then like something happens and I don't know what it is yet, but that beautiful perspective at some point starts shifting and turning upside down. Like, you, you know, Stranger Things, it's like the upside down world. It's like marriage was supposed to be this thing and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's, it gets really strange and all of a sudden the assets become liabilities. Right, and the things that you loved about them, you loved them. Like, oh, the sniff, it's, she won't stop the sniff thing. Like, blow your nose, what is wrong? Right, it was so cute. And now it's aggravating, you know? And now you get in a fight and he shuts down and he doesn't say anything and you're like, say something. What are you thinking? I just don't want to say anything because I don't want, say something. It's just, rah, you're throwing things, right? It, you, Oh, was that, the, that was the line, huh? That would throwing thing. No, there's a line somewhere where it crosses over to where all you see is the negative in somebody where it used to be all the positive. That's reality. What used to be assets have now become liabilities. What used to be so awesome is now not so good. And it begins to wedge you apart. And here's some some ways that you could tell whether you're kind of caught in that. Number one is that instead of forgiving one another and instead of seeing the positive, okay, and, and forgiving them, you resent them. You start keeping score. Can I warn you about something? If you're in a conversation and you reach back three months and you grab that thing that they said or that they did that was supposed to be done, like we forgave each other and moved on, supposedly, 
and you reach back and you grab that thing and you throw it in their face, you're resenting one another and you're keeping score. That's a negative pattern that you have. It's got to be changed. But whenever you can only see somebody for their negative, you begin to do that. You begin to resent them. You don't forgive anymore. Maybe instead of appreciating those quirky things about them, right? The sniff, the silence, whenever you're in a conversation. Instead of appreciating it, you begin to compare them to other people. Why can't they be like that person over there? Like, man, I, I was watching the way that he treats his wife and man, I just wish that, I wish that he would, right? You start comparing instead of appreciating who it is that you gave your life to. It's a slippery slope, but it starts happening. Instead of owning your mistakes, you begin to shift blame to the other person. Can I just help you out? And this can apply to any relationship anywhere. If, if you would simply just say, I was wrong and I shouldn't have said that, the arguments and the disunity will dissipate. It's amazing. Like even if you're only 30% wrong, just, just own it and say, babe, I should have said that I was wrong. They could have like hurled something through the window. It doesn't matter. I shouldn't have said that, okay? And that's extreme. I hope many of you aren't like throwing too many things, okay? Although it is reality, okay? Like, like is there forgiveness? Is there grace? Is there, is there this, this opportunity to own your mistakes, each other owning your mistakes instead of blame shifting to each other? But I believe this. I believe that whenever a marriage is operating or any relationship is operating in this manner, what it really v- reveals to me is that that relationship, that marriage is not Christ-centered. Okay, a marriage is made up of two people that come together. So therefore, if that marriage is not operating right, one or both of those people are not operating right. It's not a vague marriage problem. It's a people problem, okay? And if, if I'm Christ-centered in the way that I'm living my life and my wife is Christ-centered, our marriage is gonna be Christ-centered, right? There's gonna be forgiveness and grace and compassion flowing in me, so therefore it's in my marriage. It's not separate. Marriage can become very self-centered. It can become more about your convenience rather than the covenant, more about your convenience in the covenant. See, see, God, all throughout the Bible, you'll read where, where, where God really despises pride and selfishness. It's really one of the roots of all sin is selfishness. If you really root it back, insecurities and, and you know, anger, all that, it goes back to pride and selfishness. It's really what caused Lucifer to be thrown out of, uh, thrown out of heaven. It's pride. And whenever pride or selfishness is operating in our marriage, it's breaking it apart. It's the truth, guys. And so, so in a marriage, we must be Christ-centered people and we will have a Christ-centered marriage. A lot of people do the whole priority thing. And again, this is probably just personality, kind of the way that you look at things. But there's this whole like God first and then our family and then, and then our kids or our church or whatever, it is, like how it goes down. Whenever the way that I look at it is that God's in me, like God's at the core of me. So everything that I do is affected by that. Like I have a Christ centered, he's at the center of it. Like, so everything that I do, it's not like, God, you're here. And then here's my family. And it's two separate compartments. Like if God's truly working in me, he's working in everything that I do, right? You see that? And so it's a different perspective. So if your marriage is not functioning like biblically, then really you got to look at, am I functioning biblically? 
But you know, there's another trap on, on what your marriage can be centered on that I just want to touch on. They're self-centered, but some marriages actually become child-centered. They become child-centered. Where the relationship, there's an orbit around the children. And don't get me wrong, I think that we should obviously plan and do well with our children, okay? Let's not throw the, the baby literally out with the bathwater, okay? But I really believe that before I'm a daddy, I'm, I'm a husband, right? Like if me and Nadine are having a conversation and our child walks up and wants to budge in and break down that conversation, most of the time, not all the time, it kind of depends on what we're talking about, okay? But if we're having a serious conversation, hey, baby, you need to wait. Mommy and daddy are talking. Go play in your room. Like, we'll, we'll talk to you later, but we're having a, a serious conversation. Why? Because one day, my two little girls are gonna be gone. They're gonna be launched. And guess what remains? This marriage, this connection, this covenant. And what happens, believe it or not, divorce is on the rise with people that are 50 years of age and above. Why? There's no purpose to the marriage. Why? Because it was child-centered. Every conversation, every plan, every, everything was about the kids. And although it almost feels like you're saying something wrong, you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, shit, wait, is this, it is, man. Look, you've got to maintain your marriage because your kids are actually being raised inside the environment and the culture of your marriage. Bad marriage, it's going to create an unstable environment for your children. Take care of your marriage. Keep it Christ-centered, not self-centered, not, not completely child-centered, not career-centered, college-centered. No, 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 Christ-centered, all right? I wasn't really gonna look for a response on that one. Yeah, a couple claps. It's fine, it's fine. Ephesians 5.33 goes on and it says, so again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. This part of the message is, is especially personal for me because whenever me and Nadine got married, uh, it, was, it was rough, all right? It was, it was bad, it was bad. Uh, I mean, we, could, we would fight about everything. Like the type of cheese on the burger. Like, I want... Pepper Jack, well, I want American, and I don't like that. And boom, fight. Super immature, I know. It's kind of embarrassing, but we were only 21, so that's our excuse. <laughs> and after months and months and months of just disagreeing on everything, we had created really, really bad patterns where we couldn't communicate. Uh, and really, we actually got a hold of a small group, um, or were invited to a small group, Love and Respect. We bought this book and we began to read it. And these two concepts and the way that it works together in a marriage, it renovated the way that we thought about each other and the way that we still operate as a team. Now, I'm not saying that every day we sit down and say, okay, I'm not feeling so respected. Well, you're not loving. And, you know, it's not like that. But you know, whenever you're, you change the way that you think, that the way that you act is your behavior changes, right? And this right here was so huge for us. Love and respect to have a marriage that you like, it requires these two components. It requires love and it requires respect. And I want you to picture it like this. Generally speaking, women desire to be loved, secure, stable, right? Steady, to know that they're gonna be taken care of. And overall, men desire to be respected. Like, that, like when I speak, people actually care what I'm talking about and especially my family. 
And whenever there's one person is not receiving what they need, it's sort of like oxygen. It's almost like you have a, a tank of respect and a tank of love. And the woman needs to be breathing that, that oxygen and the man needs to be breathing that oxygen as well. And, and what happens is a lot of times we stop feeding what the person needs and then they go into desperation mode. If you stop giving me oxygen right now, at some point I'm gonna start getting scrappy, start getting weird. Why? I'm, I'm fighting, I need air. It's kind of like a person that's drowning. If any of you have ever been a lifeguard, I've never been one, but I've, I've heard people talk about this. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but... Whenever somebody is drowning and you go up and you try to help them, sometimes they are so out of it and they're just in scrap mode trying to get oxygen. They'll fight the very person that's trying to help them. And you gotta like lay them out or something. And you gotta, I mean, seriously, let them have it. Why? Because they're not thinking clearly, but they're being starved of something that they need. And so many times in marriages, there's this ridiculous cycle that's taking place where the man is not loving the wife and the wife is not respecting the husband. And because neither is receiving what they need, they don't give to the other what they give, what they need. And so therefore they're on this thing that's called the crazy cycle. It's crazy, it's insane, but you can't stop it. Because every time it's that first reaction and it's, it's an unloving reaction, it's a, it's a disrespectful comment and it just, it's this self-feeding, self-destructive mechanism that's operating in a lot of relationships. One thing that I began to think about was how come if I know, and you can apply this to your own life, how come if I know that, that my spouse needs something, why would I withhold that? Like knowing that that's what they need. Why would I withhold that? It's very, it's, it's very unloving. A lot of you, you know exactly what it is that your spouse needs. Everybody has different love languages, okay? For some people, it might be a, like getting a gift. Like that's just, oh, wow. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's affection. Maybe it's just words, having conversations that matter. A lot of times we know that about our spouse, but yet it's the very thing that we don't want to give them, almost like leverage. And it begins to work against that marriage and breaks it down. And let me tell you something. If your spouse needs to have conversations, they need words of affirmation or whatever, and you don't give that to them because you're out of love, because you care for them, that's going to begin to break them down. And it's going to erode the fiber of your, of your relationship. And even though I will never say that having an affair or looking outside of the marriage is ever okay, a lot of times that is the result of somebody not getting what they really desire or need. And of course, there's no justification in that. However, what happened here, you know, it's kind of like if, you, if the grass is greener on the other side, what's, what's the old adage? You better water your own, right? And a lot of you, I think, are in that comparison thing. You start looking at what's on the other side and the Bible's like, no, 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 come back. You're in covenant. What do you need to do in your marriage right now to improve the soil, the culture in which you're residing or your family's at? Some of you husbands are not loving your wife well. You're speaking words that destroy her and break her down. And I believe personally that it's the man's responsibility to initiate growth. That's what I believe. 
I believe every time that there's been animosity and disunity in my home, it's always ended up in a, all right, stop everything. Like we gotta sit, I mean, there's been times where I've been sitting at the dining room table because I'm a words guy. I like to talk things out, okay? She's really not, okay? But uh, I've got like a pen and a paper and I'm like, okay, okay. So I said this and I'll write it. And then I'm like, okay. And then, and then you responded like this. And then after that, like, I don't know what happened, but we ended up here. How did, how did we get here? I, right? Like we're trying to process through it. But here's the deal. I wasn't okay with where we were at. Why? Because I truly believe that whenever I stand before God, if we stand before God, that we're going to give accounts for how we replicated and, and imitated Christ and represented him. I really believe that. And you know what? I, I'm driven by the desire to hear God say, well done. Like, it's like everything that you do, do as unto the Lord. Like that truly, that means something. And so if an argument here is going to negate or, or damage our relationship and it displeased the heart of, of God, like I don't want that in our life and in my family's life. And so I'm willing to fight for it. And sometimes it's awkward conversations. We talked about those last week. You're in this crazy cycle and it's gonna take somebody to humble themselves and stop the cycle. It's gonna take somebody. And I believe it should be initiated by the man. But once it's initiated by either party, the other party has got to respond. You gotta let things go. Forgive often. Be tactful. Why? Because we're doing this as unto the Lord. It's even a greater calling than as unto each other. It's a greater motivation. You gotta ask your question, yourself the question, how am I generating life? How am I, how am I creating life in my marriage? If we're suffocating one another, how are we gonna change this process? Because whenever somebody is suffocating, it really reveals the deepest part of them, right? Like you really can see what's inside of somebody whenever they get upset or angry or, or when they're shaken. And I believe that marriage, because it's every day, nonstop, is one of the greatest tests of character. Uh, recently, I heard somebody say, uh, he said, if you're, if you're getting married to be happy, don't. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. I heard another guy say this one time, and this was very hard to just listen to, but he said, he said, you know, if, if you're having trouble in your marriage, like have a kid. Just, just have a kid. It'll give you something to like care for. And I was just like, oh no. <laughs> it's like saying I have a broken femur. So let me put like a big backpack on with weight in it and walk on that. No, it's just going to create more pain. You need to heal. And what happens is people think that I'm going to get a man. I'm going to get a wife. I'm going to get somebody that's going to complete me. I'm going to get somebody that's my soulmate, that's the other half of me. And they're going to fulfill all the things that I can't. And they're going to fulfill all the things that my friends can't. And they're going to fulfill all of the void that's in my heart. Whenever biblically we know that that type of void is only filled by Jesus. Only. See, you're, what it is, it's a question of identity. Who am I? 
And if you're not confident in who you are in Christ, you'll never be confident enough for your spouse to be that person for you and complete you and heal you and do whatever it is. It's, it's, it's actually unfair. I've literally told Nadine, we, we said this to each other, like, baby, like, I can't be everything that you need. I can't, even though all the love songs, come on. Was it, I, I mean, oh, you need, anyway. I believe it so much, I actually wrote a song to my wife about it. Like literally it's in there. I can't be everything. I'll try to be just what you need, but like, I can't be everything. Why? Because I know where Jesus is at in the mix of this thing. It's impossible for me to fulfill every single emotional need. And, but so many marriages, one or both is needing the other person to complete them and it ain't gonna work. It's not gonna work. It's actually unfair. They weren't created to fulfill your every need and fill the void. But so many marriages start there and it gets dysfunctional and you're like, well, he, he just, I thought it was gonna be different. I thought he was just better than that. And the next guy is not gonna be as good either. And then the next girl, it's this, this, it has an appetite. And all you end up with is just a broken heart again and more baggage. It's the way the enemy works. By the way, I haven't said it today. The enemy's plan is to kill, steal, and destroy every single part of your life. Like that's his pattern. It results in destruction, okay? And even in marriage and in life, raising kids, whatever it is that you're encountering, his plan is to erode it to a place where it can't stand by itself. And a lot of people in church, they end up saying, well, I tried the whole Jesus thing but they were operating in a dysfunctional pattern. It's one of the greatest tests of character. I wanna start kind of ending the message with this question. And you need to ask this in all of your relationships, all of your marriages. How am I showing or proving my love or respect? Not am I just thinking about it, but how does it actually play out? What does it look like? How do I show my wife that I love her, that I support her, and wives, how do I respect my husband? Because if you're on this crazy cycle and you're both here right now and you're both hearing the same thing, isn't that awesome? So you could both not keep score <laughs> and just come humbly and say, wow, I've been wrong in this, this, and this, and this. Admit it, repent of it. And then there could be unity. But how am I actually showing that? Now, the great thing about Jesus is that he was the, the initiator and the example for basically everything that we're required or encouraged to do, that Jesus did it first. Jesus came to this earth and it actually says that he experienced everything that we have experienced. Every relational problem, he's experienced it. He knows about when your family turns on you and home is not such a safe place. He knows, he understands that. He went through it. He understands what it's like whenever people say the wrong thing at the wrong time and they're, and they're very, very uh, angry trying to destroy you. He understands those things and he understands what it's like to be caught in this, this lifestyle that's just producing death and destruction. But he gave us an example of how not to stay in that place. And Jesus was the first one that showed us, all of us in this room, how much he loved us. And it says this in Romans 5, 8, it says, God showed his great love for us he proved it, he showed it, he proved it. He did it by sending Christ, his only son, 
his only, his only son, to die for us while we were still sinners. It's one of the greatest displays of love was the fact that Jesus died on a cross for all of us in this place that he had never even met. I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to give my child or for myself to die for somebody that I don't know. But he's so full of love and compassion, he showed it, he displayed it by doing this for each and every single one of us. And it's out of this message, it's out of this forgiveness, out of this grace, it fuels our compassion for one another. It fuels the way that we live. And I truly believe that a marriage, like I said earlier, of two people that do not have this this revelation or this understanding and are not operating in it, there's really not a lot of good news about having a great marriage, a godly marriage without that. And many of you in this place, you might have a spouse, they know God, but you know that you don't. They have an active relationship with God, but you don't, or maybe you both don't today. And you're in this place and marriage, man, we could talk a lot about marriage, but I truly believe that everything stems from this relationship with God your forgiveness, your compassion, your grace. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give every single person in this room an opportunity to respond to God, to respond to the good news that Jesus came 2000 years ago and died on a cross to set you free from your sin, to pay the price of it. And he just gift wraps it. And it's this, this message of salvation that's offered to you today. And it'll change your life. It'll change your heart and it'll change your family because that's what God does. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're in this place today and you know that's you, you know that you're far from God, I'm not gonna embarrass you or bring it to the front or anything like that. I'm just about to, I'm gonna pray in a, in a moment. But if you're here and you know that you don't have a relationship with God, you're far from him, this is your moment to respond to God's love. He showed it, he's done everything and now he offers it to you today. If you're in this place and that's you, as I pray, I want you to agree with God. I want you to, you don't have to repeat after me. We're gonna reach out to Jesus and he's gonna, he's gonna change your heart. He's gonna change your life. Let's pray. Say, God, I come before you right now, humbly and, and broken. God, I'm offering you all of me, the successes, all those high points, all those wins and all of those low points, the failures. God, I'm, I'm giving them all to you right now. God, I'm not gonna wait till I'm cleaned up and, and all that. God, I'm coming to you as I am because you said that. You said, come as you are. So here I am. The good, the bad, the ugly, I lay everything at your feet. And God, I ask that you would forgive me. I repent of the sin, of the wrong, unrighteousness in my heart right now. And Father, I reach out, I grab hold of your righteousness. I clothe myself in it. God, I thank you that you are here. You are for me. You're not against me. And God, I pray that today, from this day forward, I would walk in your power. I would walk in my new identity as a child of God. I thank you for it. I thank you for sending Jesus for me, dying for me, being raised to life for me. And I receive it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for all those who gave their hearts to God today? (laughs) 
Thanks so much for watching Northwood Church. Wherever you're watching from, we want you to know that we consider you family. We as a church want to help people know God, and our hope is that today you are encouraged and closer to God through this program. If you just prayed that prayer, first let me say congratulations. Starting your relationship with God is the best decision you can make, but it's also just a start, and we want to help you on your journey of faith. If you're watching and you want to become a partner in what God is doing in South Mississippi through Northwood Church, you can give simply by texting the amount you want to give to the number 228-215-3421. Again, that number is 228-215-3421. By giving, you're helping local food pantries, women's resource centers, missions, outreaches, and so much more. Even just $5 can go a long way. Again, text the amount to 228-215-3421. Northwood is one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach, Mississippi, and we'd love to see you there. You can check out our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. Be sure to connect with us at northwood.tv or on social media to stay up to date with all the exciting things happening around Northwood Church. Thank you for watching, and we hope to see you soon.